Hey, everybody. Kevin Grossman, president of Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards. Welcome to 2021 and the new Candy Benchmark Research Program year. We've also got lots of events throughout the year and new programs as well, a new learning program as well as Benchmark membership. And you can find all of this at thetalentboard.org. Enjoy the podcast. I've always been one to kind of challenge norms, conventional norms and assumptions, and not in the way just to be provocative and to throw bombs at established cadences and the way people do things, but to more challenge us to think like, is this the right way we should be doing this? Like, are we doing it this way because of this is the way we've always done it? Or are we doing this thing way because this is the right way to do it? You're listening to the Candy Shop Talk podcast brought to you by Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards Benchmark Research and hosted by Kevin W. Grossman. Talent Board is the first nonprofit research organization focused on elevating and promoting a quality candidate experience. The Candy Shop Talk podcast welcomes Lars Schmidt, author of the best-selling book, Redefining HR. Lars is also the founder of Amplify, an HR executive search and consulting firm, a podcast host and fast company contributor. Listen in on how improving candidate experience impacts recruiting and the business bottom line. Lars, thank you so much for joining me on the Candy Shop Talk podcast. Before we dive into the rest of the show, why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do today? Yeah. Hey, Kevin. Good. Uh, thanks for having me on. I am the founder of a company called Amplify. We do HR executive search and strategic consulting. I'm also a podcaster and a writer. So I host a podcast called Redefining HR. Just published my second book called uh, Also Redefining HR. I like to keep it simple. I spend a lot of my time just kind of exploring modern HR and people practices and trying to use all those channels to shine light on, on great work and great practitioners where it's happening. And been a practitioner yourself as well. I have, yeah. I've been uh, been in the space for a little over twenty years now. So exactly. I, I spent the first uh, sixteen years of my career in house before uh, starting all those ventures. And we were just talking before we started recording how uh, way back in the day when I first met you, you were working at NPR and got Craig Fisher and I um, got to come to the offices in, in DC. I think that's where it was, yeah, in DC, and kind of have a tour and see NPR. That was pretty cool. And see yeah, the you know, see the tiny desk. Yes. You know, the, the, the bummer of it all is like that our old headquarters was kind of a dump, to be honest. Like we you missed the new headquarters that I think, we had I built. You're, you're, I remember you telling us that. Yeah, the <laughs> new space is just gorgeous, gorgeous. Right. So if you, if you get a chance again to, you know, if, if, you, if, you, if you befriend any other NPR, uh, current NPR employees and get a chance to do a tour, definitely take that because the new uh, the new space is phenomenal. That's great. Now, I definitely want to get back there. I mean, back in the olden days when we used to travel and see things. <laughs> right oh, remember travel? Yeah, that oh, was, those, were, those days were fun. You know, my my youngest keeps reminding us that it was, you know, Friday the 13th, March 13th, when it was her last day of in-person school. And we've been distance learning ever since. Now they're getting ready to potentially go back a hybrid where we're at in California, which we're super glad for them as well as for us. But she had told us that in November, when we had another Friday the 13th, she said, listen, if we wake up on that Friday morning and say Jumanji three times, it'll all go back to normal. And we mm -hmm. said, I, I don't, I wish, honey, I wish that was the case, but... <laughs> 
but that did not happen. We tried it though. It's because- too bad. I, w- I would have joined you in that uh, Jumanji trifecta if that would have worked. I think we all would have. <laughs> so listen, let's let's talk. Your book, Redefining HR, is a really great read, and I'm I'm still in the midst of it. But it's a progressive take on evolving the HR and recruiting professions, on how we recruit, hire, manage, and retain people, and more. And in the foreword, Caitlin Holloway calls you the kindest rebel that you'll ever meet, which I I think is really endearing, actually. Yeah, that was very sweet. It, it is very sweet. And I and again, as I mentioned, I remember you from back in the NPR days too when we first met, but expound on what she meant by that and, wh- and why does HR continue to have an image problem? That's a question I should ask her. I never asked her to, to like give me the double click on that. Like I, I think just from our conversations, you know, the kindness that people think that I'm kind, that's that's cool. That's, that's something I would like to be. But I think Rebel, you know, I've always been one to kind of challenge uh, norms, conventional norms and assumptions, and not in the way just to be provocative and to throw bombs at established cadences and the way people do things, but to more challenge us to think like, is this the right way we should be doing this? Like, are we doing it this way because of this is the way we've always done it? Or are we doing this thing way because this is the right way to do it? Or, and so I think in HR broadly, we can have that conversation a lot and we can apply that thinking to tons of aspects of how we work because much of our operating rhythms and practices and protocols are based on the way that we had done things in the past. And you know maybe we're using the internet now to support them. You know, Maybe we're doing digital versions of what we used to do on paper, but the process generally is the same. And so I think that the rebel component is more of challenging some of that conventional wisdom and saying, could there be a better way for us to do this? Like if we were to build this from the ground up today, would it look like the way we're doing it now or would it look different? And I think having those whiteboard exercise ideas is healthy for the field. And then obviously, as you have companies that are doing that, being able to kind of then illustrate what they're doing, how they arrived at that decision, how it works for them with the hope that maybe that'll inspire, you know, iterating your own process. I think those are the projects, whether it's HR open source or anything else, I've always found myself drawn to. It's like, how can we get out of that kind of siloed legacy past that HR has been in where we typically weren't accustomed to sharing how we did things and go to the other direction and share everything or not everything, but share a lot of how we do things with the hope of uh, it maybe educating or inspiring our peers to think differently. Part of the conundrum too, isn't it historically that HR is supposed to be there for the people management, but it's also been about protecting the company too right sure that's and that's that's tough because that's been part of the the realm of hr for even well at least beyond the personnel days yeah but i think that and and the whole thing of what you started with the open source uh, the hr open source community i think has been really critical because it is about idea exchange and sharing information and and your book chock full as i would call full of vitamins and minerals (laughs) <laughs> and it is, and, K- and and case study vignettes, right? Yeah. And spotlights of what, and that's what, one of the things I've learned and I've known for years, but especially running the candies is that companies, they want to hear from their peers. They want to hear from people who are doing things differently, that are yeah. taking chances on how that's at the end of the day, still helps to grow and sustain their companies and their business, but the, and their people that are taking chances in that regard. So let me sh- shift a little bit because we, I know we've all talked enough about 2020, right? We're kind of tired of talking about 2020, uh, although it's still kind of washing over to this year. It was a year like no other um, and not just because because of COVID, it was, you know, we had social and racial inequity and injustice that really, I think, raised up even more so with George Floyd's death and murder and and everything else that that transpired, the political divisiveness that's occurred. We saw empathetic communication really 
elevate for a lot of organizations, which was very positive from our perspective. Because yeah. what, what are they going to do? They have to communicate with their candidates and say, now everything's changed. You can't come in for your interviews anymore. You can't do your start date because we got to figure out how you're going to start working remotely, even if you can work remote. And we saw that that level and candidates were more forgiving in this last year too. The, my question to you then, and that kind of a setup is communication and feedback have always been differentiating elements in our research that we see every year and how you communicate with your employees and your candidates makes a huge difference. So where do you think that's going to go now? And how are companies, are they going to sustain them? Do you think a lot of the the more progressive companies, do you think that's going to wash over and where is it going to go in the future as well? In our industry, we traditionally, and there are certainly exceptions, but we haven't been great communicators, especially to candidates. Uh, You know, the whole black, you know, this audience doesn't need to hear me talk about black holders. Probably drink a game associated with that every time you hear that (laughs) on the podcast. We're in a position, I think, going through what we've all experienced as a collective, right? Like humanity, like 2020 was a traumatic year for everybody and and traumatic to varying uh, degrees based on your own personal circumstances. I think for employers who are hiring, it allowed us to really reset what's important. And what I mean by that is, you know, particularly if, if you look at like the employer brand component of recruiting, for years, we, we were so focused on hyperbole and, you know, we're the best and we do this and like, look at our cool office and our custom, you know, kombucha and whatever else we threw at candidates to try to, you know, like none of that really mattered. You know, AA, those those amenities didn't really matter. They certainly don't matter now. But I think that the uh, the way that we talked about the culture and the employee experience, and again, using this kind of hyperbole, that doesn't really land in this environment that we're in now. Like people want real talk. They want to know like, okay, what's it like to work there? How did you adapt to COVID? What is it like when, you know, working remote? How am I supported as an employee? How do you build community? How will I, you know, onboard in an environment where I've never seen any of you physically? And I don't know when I will. So I think I think it, it's reshaped what candidates expect, but also I think it's forced. It's been a forcing factor for recruiting teams and departments and HR teams to rethink how and what they communicate to candidates. And so certainly from a candidate experience standpoint, I hope that continues to kind of be at the forefront of how we think about corresponding with candidates and communicating with them and letting them know where they stand in the process and and just being more. There's so many things that we can do proactively as recruiters to address the anxiety and stress that comes with job search. And and hopefully this will push us to be more mindful and empathetic and compassionate to that experience, but also be more proactive in how we, our role in addressing it. Exactly. And that goes with your employees as well, because you're having to constantly re-recruit to retain, even if that's not necessarily in the immediate purview of the talent acquisition team, it's still something that that's got a consideration that has to be made communicating with our employees as well. And and, and on a regular basis, there's so many, uh, unfortunately, still millions of people out of work, as we we know, and many people out there know, literally going to listen to the podcast that there is, you know, influxes of ap- applications, uh, lots of different companies, you know, people applying for jobs they never would have applied for before because they're looking for work. We've made it really easy, which on the one hand has been great. We've made it an easy way. It's easy to apply. Yeah. Right. It's easy to apply. And in fact, it's sometimes it's even five to 10 minutes, even less sometimes just to get in the door. But that's still, unfortunately, still a lot of unqualified people. So how do we better repel? And I know that's not exactly the right word, but how do we get candidates to self-select out? What are some things that either you've done in the past as a practitioner that you have worked with other companies now to get people to like say, you know what, I'm not going to apply to that. That's not for me. 
Yeah. I mean, honestly, I like the word repel. Okay. There should you go. Think, yeah. I think we and should. Well, that's in your book that. too. Yeah. Repel's I mean, uh, you know, so. great, great employer branding, both the tracks and repels, right? Sure. It's like you want to, you want to allow, you want to create more informed candidates so that they can self-select accordingly based on their own circumstances. I think a lot of it comes down to how we're you know, positioning our jobs and how we're writing job descriptions, because obviously that's the kind of gateway through which most applicants find their way into our, our applicant tracking systems. So a couple of things to do there. One, I'm a huge proponent of including comp ranges in job descriptions. Mm. Do that upfront. That will have a huge factor. And granted, like some people may say, okay, well, I'm making 150K, your ceiling is 100K, I really need a job, I'm still going to apply. That's a personal choice. Somebody may do that. It's up to you whether you want to evaluate that or not. But include the job description, include the comp band in your job description. Allow it. Allow people to select in and out upfront based on that. You know, There's no need to be coy about that. There's no need to play games and be like, well, maybe you're making more, I could get you less. It's BS. Like, Just right. include the comp range. Great. That's one. B, in the job description, really put thought into it. Don't just retread the last time you know you hired that person and you have a spec from five years ago and you know, you're know you updating a few keywords and putting it out there. Like, Really think about like what are the Which outcomes? happens a lot more than we would, would want to happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that's more of the default. That's more right. of the rule than the right. exception. Right. So really put a lot of thought into it. And in that job description, don't be afraid to put things that are undesirable about that job in the job description. We are, again, we're all work from home, so everybody's in an open environment right now, but like whatever the work constructs, we're, we're an agile shop. We don't necessarily use the most cutting edge tools because we work on this kind of problem and the tool set associated with that is more legacy oriented tools, whatever it might be. You know, I had a client a couple of years ago that they had a similar problem. It was a big brand, hugely desirable brand, their recruiting team was inundated with applications and it, it clogged up the engine, right? It made it really hard for them to get through and their candidate experience suffered because of it. And so we piloted with some teams, uh, every job description, we had included three reasons why you should not take this job. And you know, specifically called out like, you know, responsibilities, qualifications, reasons you sure. shouldn't take this job. And we're really honest about some of the, you know, the downsides of that particular team or that particular role or how work got done there. Because we, we, you know, we knew from exit interviews and from interviewing the team, what were some of the downsides of working there. So we said, let's own those. Let's put them front and center and let's let people select in or out based on that. So those are a couple of things that, uh, you know, you can and should do, I think, to try to, you know, again, people, it's still ultimately human choice, whether they apply or not, but right. at least they're doing it with a much clearer understanding of what's involved. And they're still going to get people that are the serial appliers, unfortunately, that are applying for 75 different jobs that they're never going to be qualified for. But on that same token, though, for those who maybe are still applying, and, and there's still going to be a majority of individuals that are just not qualified for every given job. And I think yeah. one of the other things that companies need to do after the fact is that for those candidates who apply and just aren't qualified, do not hold on to them until you fill the rack. And then yeah. three to five days is a mantra we're hearing more of, or one to yep. two weeks max. Let them go. Let them go. Say, yeah. thank you very much for your time, especially those that are just not qualified at all. But I love the ideas about how to get to repel candidates, maybe to get them to say, no, nah, I mean, that's not, that job is not for me. Those are those are really good ideas. And I mean, and your point is really important as well. Like don't most recruiting teams, they just, they wait until the end and they shut everybody out at the same time. Like there's no need to do that. Just let them go, let them move on. Don't, don't put their hopes up. They're going to have a lot more respect for you if you're able to do that. I, I remember one time distinctly at NPR, there, there was a role that was open and it was, uh, there, there was a lot of backstory. It got transitioned to hiring manager. It was put on hold. It was opened up again, but I, I took it over because the recruiter was working on it wasn't there. And I sent out a rejection email and somebody had applied to it a year and a half ago and emailed me. 
I was like, gee, thanks. And I was like, I'm really sorry. I own this. This is my fault. I apologize. But it just, uh, it was a great you know, reminder of like, I like this person had moved on like multiple times their career that this is a painful reminder of that dream job they didn't get. So let people go early. That's a great practice. Everybody should be doing. Oh, absolutely. It just, yeah. Cause that, the it just, it just, it comes back to, to haunt. And it's not even a matter of whether you ever want that person applying again or not. It's just the, the impact on the brand affinity and their, what they're sharing with folks and positive and negative experiences like, but the negative again, you just, you don't want that. So yes, let, let them go. One of the things that we also find and we've we've seen over the years is that companies maybe they do some research like with our benchmark research program or they do some continuous feedback and whatever they and they they identify one two three things they need to improve on in the recruiting and hiring process okay let's make these a priority they make those improvements the hardest thing though that we see with companies over the years is sustaining that sustaining yeah. that quality candidate experience the stuff is impacting the business all the time right who plans for a pandemic, Lars? We don't. Yeah, nobody. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, no, even healthcare organizations were like, wait, what? And then, you know, economic fluctuations, changes on the leadership team, M&A activity, stuff that's hitting the business all the time. It's hard to sustain out of, uh, we've worked with over a thousand companies at, with at, at, in, in our research program. Only five have won eight out of the 10 years of the candy awards. And then consistently, it's hard. It's hard work to do. So how how would you approach or recommend implementing and sustaining recruiting improvements and and, and that may immediately impact candidate experience or not, but just in, just in general recruiting and hiring. Yeah. I I think, you know, for one, have a reasonable baseline that you hold yourself to, right? I think it's easy to kind of go down a rabbit hole and like, we should do this, we should do that and, and make it like so complex and sophisticated and valuable, of course, but also just very, very complex. And then maybe you build it that way when you're resourced in a way that allows you to sustain that. And then the world goes upside down, business changes, teams contract, whatever happens. Now you've built this thing you can't possibly sustain. So you drop it all. That's not uncommon. So, you know, I I strongly recommend like don't over engineer optimizing your efforts, like find a reasonable baseline that you can hold yourself to and you can, you know, you can automate wherever possible so that it's not manual effort every single time you're doing it. But I would say have that baseline, maintain that baseline for a while. And if you're thinking about maybe we should add X, Y, or Z, maintain that baseline for a while first before you add so that you understand really kind of over time, because you might build it and maintain it for a month and be like, yeah, this isn't so hard. Try three months, six months. And if you get to that point and you feel, you know, we could, we could ratchet this up a little bit more, then you do that. But resist the urge to try to do everything all at once because that you're just setting yourself up for disaster. Yes. And then it just backfires and you get more negative sentiment. Um, and we see it, we see it all the time. Yeah. Incremental, small incremental, sustainable changes go a long way with not just it may having more positive sentiment, but it's all about the perception of fairness, right? Because they're not going to be happy. They're only happy if they get hired. Otherwise it's about, do I, you know, were you fair to me? I'm bummed. I'm not going any further, yeah. especially for those that make it to finalist stage. But you know what? You you told me everything was going to happen that happened and you were yeah. clear and definitive and closure, all those things. And you just, you touched on something that I want to hit on quickly too, is that the fact that technology is not new to recruiting and hiring. We've had ATSs for over two decades and lots of technology in between, but companies are leaning on recruiting automation, especially in what we saw happening last year when teams got leaner and more than ever before. And it's, but there's a lot of exciting things that are happening in recruiting tech, but candidates don't care about the recruiting tech, right? No. 
they don't, it doesn't matter to them. They care about the, what they're getting the job. And then if they don't get the job, they care about the experience at least, and at least how much engagement I get, communication, et cetera. What are your kind of quick hits on re- recruiting technology considerations that companies need to think about here as it relates to having a good, you know, seamless recruiting and hiring process? Yeah. I mean, look, ideally you have an ATS that allows candidates to log in and see where their status is. I think that you know is pretty common technology at this point. But if you don't have that, ask your vendor why they don't. Because they do again. It's like you know you you can't uh, you can't possibly be as proactive as a candidate would want as an individual recruiter carrying twenty five recs, right? Like that that's not possible. So why not give them that transparency into the process? I'll go you know low tech on on one thing. Every single company should have a application and interview process FAQ on their career site. And in their auto response that they send to candidates that say, you know, thank you for your application. We're going to review it, blah, 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 blah. Why not use that real estate to proactively inform them? You know, this is what you can expect. It will usually take us, you know, two to three weeks to review applications, sometimes shorter, rarely longer. A real human is going to review your application. We're not using keyword software to do it. Uh, if you're selected, this is what you can expect as a next step. That's all basic stuff. We know what that, we know what that looks like for our organization. Candidates don't. That's like, the lowest lift thing you could you could bang that out in an hour and then embed that in that process and that that gesture alone and you probably have data behind this like that goes so well in setting expectations for a candidate so if, oh. if I'm a candidate I, I'm like I, I'd love feedback in an hour like that's not going to happen yeah. but if you tell me right when I apply hey this is what you can expect now I'm 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 able to calibrate my expectations in, in a meaningful way and so like again. That's not high tech. That's like as low tech as it gets, but that's a huge value. Like every client I've worked with, like you have to do this because it's again, it's an hour of time, a couple hours at tops to kind of draft it. You know, the questions candidates typically have build that, set it. And then that's automated. You're automatically sending them that feedback. That thing that takes maybe one to two hours to do goes a long way with just like, okay, now I understand what's going to happen next. But expectation setting is a huge differentiator. And you're right. It is a low tech solution that can be done quite readily and highly recommend that more companies do it. And I'm surprised that more companies don't. Although we've seen, we have seen an increase in our, in the candy community in the past few years, and it does pay dividends because the, the, the positive sentiment, and that's the thing that we see in our data and our research, everything, and a lot of the proven practice practices, as you called it in your book, yeah. that our companies are doing, they're, they're doing these things, they're probably doing a lot more of, the, of related things. And that's what ultimately drives fairness, perception of fairness, and more positive sentiment at the end of the day. I wanted to round out, and th- so thank you for your time today too on the podcast. Tell us what's been what's going on with the HR open source community now. What, where is it at today? Yeah, I mean, so HROS remains a thriving community. You know, Ambrosia, so Ambrosia and I co-founded HROS about five and a half years ago. Uh, we both stepped down from HROS about a year and a half ago and turned it over to a new operating board. And so it's become a formal nonprofit and the new board is taking them forward. So uh, now we're, uh, we, we, we've shifted from, uh, you know, founders to cheerleaders and uh, certainly championing their efforts, but, uh, but it's been great. I mean, I think it was the right spirit at the right time. And now you see, I mean, whether it's a, uh, you know, disrupt HR, hacking HR, Google rework. There, there's lots of other kind of grassroots open source, you know, DNA organizations that are coming up to drive the field forward. So it's um, uh, it's such an exciting time in HR, and uh, and yeah, I'm excited about uh, what's to come. That's great. And and we're I'm sure this is a very easy question, but where do we get the redefining HR book? Where what's the, where do you recommend? 
Um, yeah, I mean, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on Books A Million. I mean, the majority of uh, online booksellers certainly have them. Local bookshops probably will if you're getting out in the open. And if you are, I envy your adventurous streak. <laughs> uh, and you can also get it from the publisher, uh, Kogan Page, out of London. Hey, do, do, is there an audiobook version? Not yet. Not yet. Perhaps there will be. Yeah, the way that works, it's my first time kind of going through the full publishing process. They're basically a, a publisher or a syndicate has to request that and then they would create that. So we'll see. I actually did. I narrated my introduction chapter as a you know kind of celebration on the week of the book launch. So you can check out my podcast if you want to hear uh, you know me reading the audiobook of my introduction chapter, uh, which is a kind of fun and unique experience. But uh, but yeah, no no formal audiobook yet. But maybe 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 that, hey you know anything is possible, buddy. Anything is cool. possible. That'd be very cool. I just started just as a, a totally unrelated, but I was listening to there's a new podcast with Barack Obama and uh, Bruce Springsteen called Renegades that I started listening to. That was it's it's great. I highly recommend it. It was a lot of fun. But anyway, I'd love, yeah, I'd love to see the the audiobook at some time. So Lars, the last thing I like to ask all my guests is besides work because we're always working. Work is work. We talk about it all the time. What else does Lars like to do besides work? And I think I know a big part of that answer because I related to that. Yeah. Well, other than sit, sit around my house for a year. Um, no, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, like the, the most important thing I am is a dad. Yeah. And uh, I've got two two daughters. They're young. They're best friends. They're tons of fun. And I think, you know, as hard as this situation has been for everybody, and, and I will I will own that, like, I'm probably about as privileged as I could possibly be to weather a pandemic like this. Like, we're safe. We're home. We don't have to go anywhere. I work from home. I have my own company. Like, all of that. So I'm not, I'm not going to be complaining at all. But I think what I'll remember 10 years from now is the time I've been able to spend with my family uh, here. I mean, I, you know, I was, my wife was pregnant with my oldest daughter when I started my company. Uh, and so, you know, from the time she was before she was born, I've been on a plane at least, you know, once a month and traveling all over the world. And I've never had, you know, a couple months of unbroken family time, let alone a year. And so that part has been really special, you know, for, for me, I'm having a blast. And like, you know, I started the family late. Uh, and so, you know, I'd done, uh, seen and done a lot of things before I became a dad. And I think it's really allowed me to just appreciate every, every minute I have. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's my hobbies. That, and I guess collecting skateboards and, uh, you know, nerding out on technology, but, uh, those, those things are certainly secondary. Well, that now, of course. And I think that you, you and I are similar to that effect too, because I was started later as a dad myself. Yeah. My wife and I have been, we're super grateful that we've been able to, to be here, help our girls with distance learning, which they've been primarily doing for the past year. And I know that there's a lot of people that are struggling out there a lot. Well, you know, we're, and we haven't struggled. We've been, we've been okay. And we're very grateful to that and have that lots of empathy for others that, that have not. And, but we've become closer as a family. And I think that's been a big benefit as well at the end of the day. So Lars, thanks so much for being on the Candy Shop Talk podcast. Again, for folks, the listeners, we, t- we talked a lot about obviously recruiting and hiring today, but the book Redefining HR is, is got a, a much bigger scope in regards to human resources and people management and all things in between. So I highly recommend that you get the book and check it out and apply some of those things to your organization today. So thank you, Lars. Yeah, Kevin, thanks so much for having me on. This is fun. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Candy Shop Talk podcast. For more information about Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards and Benchmark Research, visit www.thetalentboard.org. 